I got this tattoo almost two weeks ago, and it still itches like a bitch. Uh, your Star Wars one? My my Ahsoka Tano. Deciding if I'm getting another Star Wars tattoo. Next. I There will more than likely be more. I was like, I think I finally convinced Liz to let me get a tattoo. Like, and I was like, I was trying to make it real nice. It was going to be a Hamsa, like, you know, the, uh, the white girl, like, two-thumbed tattoo, uh, hand yeah. that has, like, the eye in the middle. I was going to do that, but have, like, the map of Athens, Georgia as, like, the line work in it and, like, our background, like, kind of us. And she's like, mm, no, I really want it to be something that, that means something and all that. <laughs> Let it slide for a while. Looked up capybara tattoos. <laughs> it's like just some line work of a capybara with a butterfly on its nose. And she's like, yep, okay. None of mine mean anything <laughs> except for my love of Star Wars. <laughs> Hot pot of the South, not your daddy's Appalachia. Hot pot of the South, progress cannot wait. Hello everyone and welcome to Pot of the South, a production of Change Tennessee. Pull up a chair and refill your sweet tea as we peel back the layers of Southern politics to get a better understanding of what's going on and why it matters. My name is Gabe, and I'm out of witty introductions this week, so deal with it. But joining me today, as always, is Drew Dyson. And I have never had a witty introduction, so we're just going to keep that going. And missing this week, as always, is Matthew Park. Do you know if he is one of Elon Musk's Mars servants? I believe last uh, he was seen, he was going into one of those Elon Musk subways underneath Los Angeles, and we haven't heard from him since. So, maybe not on Mars, but definitely one of Elon Musk's indentured servants that he has been parading through news articles. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Today we're going to break down what exactly is considered the quote-unquote South. But, before we jump in, Drew, what's one thing that is just being left out on the political landscape right now? Yeah, so I think the biggest thing, especially for us here in Tennessee, but I mean, really... In, in red states altogether, there's been a uh, huge rush to pass anti-trans legislation. We're seeing all these crop up across the South. We're seeing these crop up in Republican legislatures all over the country. Uh, and yesterday, the Tennessee General Assembly passed an anti-trans student-athlete bill that would only allow students to participate in the sports that they were assigned to at birth. Oh, let me rephrase that. The students must play with the gender that they were assigned with at birth. It's very intrusive. It's very harmful to trans students. Um, and unfortunately, while we wouldn't want this to happen in general, um, I think the most disappointing thing is that several Democrats did not vote no for it in the General Assembly. We actually had two Democrats that voted yes, Antonio Parkinson and John Mark Wendell. Uh, we had five that voted present, Karen Camper, Jesse Chisholm, London Lamar, Sam McKenzie, Johnny Shaw, and we have three that did not vote, Barbara Ward Cooper, Harold M. Love Jr., Joe Towns Jr. Uh, I wanted to make sure to especially say their names because it is downright shameful that 
they did not stand up and protect uh, trans rights. Even if you voted present, the worst thing you could do in this moment is definitely not take a side and not take the side of protecting a vulnerable population of our students. It's truly sad that that these people who one of the biggest core values of the Democratic Party is LGBTQ rights. And to see so many of them either vote yes for this bill or not not take a side in this bill whatsoever is shameful. Um, and it's a reminder that just because someone is a Democrat doesn't mean they're the right Democrat, especially going forward, no matter how much good some of these Democrats might have done, uh, this hopefully will follow them because this is going to cause a lot of students a lot of pain. And that is something that that we should never let them forget that they caused. I don't want to go down too far since, like I said, we're going to talk about just the South as a whole. But also, why are they spending so much time dedicating to this when trans youth, like, I'm not, I don't, I don't want to minimize them at all as a population or as a group, because every person matters. Uh, but it's such, there's the, the supermajority is spending so much time attacking the trans community when they are such a small part of the population. Like why, why can't they take all that energy and focus it on doing something constructive with it? You bring up a good point, Gabe, and this warrants, I mean, the attack on LGBTQ rights and specifically transgender rights warrants in its own episode that we should definitely do here in the future. Um, but Republicans can't win against Democrats and economic issues. Uh, poll after poll shows that when faced with econ- our voters are faced with economic issues from both parties, they align with Democrats. However, when Republicans are able to start culture wars, they tend to do better. So everything the Republican legislature does here isn't to dis- to fix our crumbling infrastructure in Tennessee, to deal with the amount of hospital closures we have, uh, to deal with the rising number of unemployed people due to the pandemic. It's to attack and to maintain this culture war of us versus them. And that's why they see this as a great opportunity to continue the divide. That's Yeah, that's a good point. And that actually leads real well into kind of what I think is over, like overrated, over talked about, has way too much airtime. Uh, and it's the same people who are trying to cancel everything. And that's the whole concept of cancel culture. Like, holy shit, there's no such thing. Like, cancel culture doesn't exist. It's a boogeyman that people who are, who used to be able to say whatever they wanted and not worry about repercussions of it, now that people are calling them out for what they're saying, are trying to say, are trying to say, oh, they're trying to cancel me. They're, they're trying to take away my First Amendment rights. So it's like, no. We're just saying, hey, what you said is really shitty, and you probably shouldn't say that. You know, my favorite is how, for God, no reason whatsoever, but Republicans and conservative personalities love to draw comparisons to the Holocaust and to Nazi Germany. I've done a lot of Holocaust studies in my day. I went to a Jewish boarding school I, that had a dual curriculum. I was in. I lived in Israel for several months and sp- spoken with many survivors. There is nothing, absolutely nothing, that the that the politically correct, whatever term you want to use, 
is doing that is anywhere remotely close to Nazi Germany and Hitler. So they just, they want to throw out this cancel culture boogeyman anytime they use these terrible, terrible analogies. Well, don't use terrible analogies and you won't get called out. Um, on this same track, but a little different, is the like conservative personalities are the ones who invented cancel culture, if we really want to go down that line. Let, let's look at the Red Scare uh, post-World War II. Who was it that was, who literally started a political um, crusade in Washington? It was the hardliner conservative isolationists. J. Edgar Hoover, who was just really, he just got real upset because he didn't get to lead the CIA. He just had, the FBI was told, no, you have to stay in the U.S. He didn't get to plan his world domination. Joe Mac uh, McCarthy with McCarthyism, like, if you spoke out against capitalism, they, you were labeled a communist and you were blackballed from anything that had to do with anything. Blackballed, kicked out of Hollywood, kicked out of government, just completely ostracized from society, just on the notion of something. So if we want to talk about cancel culture, it's the, these hardliner conservatives invented it. And now that the tables have been flipped on them again, we're just saying, hey, don't say shitty things. They they go scream, crying wolf at every opportunity they get to keep building off that culture war that you were just talking about. Like, ugh, cancel culture is not real. Don't say shitty things. It won't be a problem. Exactly. It's called accountability. And I think that's, you know, cancel culture gets thrown around by the right all the damn time. But it's just, you know, most times what we're seeing is white privilege on display when people are upset that they've been called out and they're now facing consequences or we're seeing, you know, the patriarchy react anytime someone's forced to deal with the consequences. Um, Andrew Cuomo for the most recent one, not to name names, but the biggest, you know, we're, we're seeing these all the time where these people are like, oh, they're trying to cancel me. Uh, and, and I mean, Andrew Cuomo the other day was like, I'm not going to be a victim of cancel culture. You've been accused of sexual assault numerous times now. You botched uh, the nursing home numbers and manipulated those. Uh, this is called accountability, jackass. And not to mention his incessant pulpit bullying he's done as well. I mean... He truly is the worst. Our feelings on Cuomo are not foreign to anybody listening to this show. <laughs> our, our feelings towards centrist Democrats are not foreign to anyone on this show, let alone people that cry cancel culture when they're faced with repercussions due to their actions. Anyway, speaking of canceling things, I'm sure... There's lots of people that are trying to cancel sections of the South. So, what is the South? Yeah, so this is going to be a two-parter. The first part is going to focus primarily on what is the South geographically. In the next episode, what we'll try and talk about is what is the South culturally and what does it mean to be Southern? We're not going to sugarcoat any of this. The South has a dark history. And before we get into that, Gabe, I'm curious... What do you consider the South? So definitely, if we're talking from a geographic region, Virginia down. Again, a lot of what my, uh, geographically, the Southeast United States, that's a, it's a very 
more of a cultural uh, distinction. So I won't really go into too much of that because we'll have a whole other thing there. But definitely geographically, you know, Virginia down and then going out west, uh, kind of again staying alongside the uh, along the Gulf, Texas and Missouri. Uh, I'm I'm gonna lump them in there just because uh, if you spawned Rush Limbaugh, then you're you have a hateful enough history that you fit in with the rest of the shitty stuff that the South has done. But a lot of it is, I think, cultural distinctions that make the South. And then your typical, you know, your Appalachia, your your mountain folk as well. But very much a an agricultural area that's really designed for agriculture. Pretty much. And and I mean, you know, I think to me, while there is this huge cultural part of what is the South, you know, I also think there's geographical distinctions to when you're now in the South. And, and to me, if we're talking about the South, that's Kentucky, Virginia, over to Arkansas, down over to Louisiana, to Florida and the Carolinas and everything in between there to me is the South. But according to the U.S. federal government, the way that they define the South is Alabama, Arkansas, Delaware, the District of Columbia, Florida, Georgia, Kentucky, Louisiana, Maryland, Mississippi, North Carolina, Oklahoma, South Carolina, Tennessee, Texas, Virginia, and West Virginia. All right, Gabe, any that stand out to you that you're like, no, absolutely not? Delaware? (laughs) Delaware? It's... First off, I'm sorry if you live in Delaware. I constantly forget about Delaware. How does? But it, Delaware's like the God. I'm about to make everyone from Delaware that would, will listen to this and listens to us very angry. Oh my God! You're gonna make all thirty of them upset. Yeah. Well, shit. If we had thirty like audience members from Delaware, that would be awesome. They're like the sweaty armpit of New Jersey. We welcome you with open arms. But I mean, Delaware is like the shitty, like, northeasterner person's tax haven. Like, no, (laughs) no, no, Delaware, get out of here. Get out of here. I'm also not a fan of Oklahoma being on that list. I, there's no business for Oklahoma being on that list. I don't know where they thought they could come in and say we're Southern. You are the Great Plains. Nothing about Oklahoma to me says Southern. Um, yeah. and I, I'm coming with a real hot take here. Texas is not a Southern state. Texas is its own little world. Wow. I, I'm coming with the hot take. We we include it on the graphic here. But but Texas to me is not a Southern state. I, I don't think they would be upset. Again, I don't know if any Texans would be upset by that. Like, by saying, like, you're not Southern because you're your own entity in of itself. I I consider Texas the South, uh, but that's because of their love of barbecue and love of guns. <laughs> Again, kind of bleeding into that cultural idea of what is the South. Yeah, and, and some of those things probably change when the culture is introduced. Um, and I think you know, the biggest thing here is the South one, 
is becoming the fastest growing region of the United States, but the South is also the hardest to define when you ask just random people where they think the South is. Uh, I don't think many people today would consider Maryland or Delaware to be part of the South. Maybe some people consider Oklahoma, uh, but it's far beyond me that when you think of the South, you're saying, oh yeah, Maryland, Delaware, that's it. No, like that's mid-Atlantic. No, no, <laughs> get out of here. We'll take your crab cakes, but the rest, of, the rest of you can go. Well, Gabe, let's talk a little bit about. Now. <laughs> oh, it is dinner time, so crab cakes on the mind. Thank you, Marilyn, for those. So let's talk a little bit about where this idea of the South not just being a you know regional place in the United States, but it actually kind of being its own entity comes from. So. We have to go back to when this country was founded, and I'll take this time to say that it was stolen by the backs of Native Americans that were already here. But as I digress on that, when the South was established, it was considered Maryland down in the original 13 colonies. It was considered slave states, and something that we'll talk about next week about the cultural aspect of the South was slaveocracy is a huge cultural point and a dark past for the South, but it is what defined the South, especially uh, pre-Civil War era. But the real marker for kind of where the South comes from is the Mason-Dixon line. If you're not familiar with the Mason-Dixon line, it is a line that literally draws the boundary between part of West Virginia, all of Maryland, between Pennsylvania, Maryland, and Delaware. That line, though, has been considered the, the epitome for how we define where the South is, which is why you get states like Maryland being included in the South. Um, it was later extended to kind of more visualize what the South was. Um, so it was the unofficial extension uh, separating free and slave states after the Missouri Compromise was passed. Um, which said that no slaves could be or no more slave states could be entered above this line. The dividing line, of course, was the Ohio Valley and the top of Missouri. Um, and so all those states were considered Southern. So while the U.S. doesn't technically recognize Missouri as a Southern state now, back then it would have been considered because slavery was a big uh, factor in determining basically which states were Southern and which ones were not. There's a Northern and Southern divide that's very huge, especially within the culture aspect that I don't know about you, Gabe, that we'll probably talk about next week because it still somewhat survives. So to kind of go back in, so pre-Civil War, the states that we would include in the South would have been compromised of states south of the Ohio Valley, Missouri included, south of the Ohio River, excuse me, uh, Maryland all the way down to, at the time, Louisiana and, and Texas would have been considered kind of part of the South as well. Today, though, we go back to what the U.S. considers the South and we think about that. And to me, there's, there's differences. You know, I think today, if we're thinking about the South and thinking about where it's at, I think regionally, 
Uh, if the U.S. is divided up into just four sections like it is, maybe that makes sense. But in this idea of what is the South, it's Louisiana over, like I mentioned before. Um, and I think we're all going to disagree on that. But I don't know, Gabe, why do you think it's so hard to define this regional part of what the South is? From a geographic standpoint, it is very interesting, especially since the U.S. is only divided up into four sections. It just kind of seems it's uh, that's historically in line with white pe- white old dudes doing a really shitty job of drawing maps and just not really knowing or being willing to adjust how things look over time. Like, oh, nope, this is the way we did it. Nope, the, ink, the ink is dried. Uh, we can't can't change it anymore. This is, this is what the map says. So you get these weird geographic regions that don't make sense. Exactly like you were saying, you know, Maryland and Delaware are considered part of the South. But even from a culture standpoint and even geographic standpoint and environmental standpoint, those don't really mesh with the rest of what's con- this, what's considered the South. Now, since we're speaking on a more geographic definition of what the South is, when you think of the South, you're thinking hot, awful, probably incredibly humid summers and mild winters. You know, you might get a snow or two here, depending on if you're more up in the mountains or not. And when I think of Maryland and Delaware, those do not fit the bill at all. But absolutely, when I think Alabama, when I think Mississippi, Tennessee, now that I've been living here for six years, uh, Georgia, summers are swelteringly hot and humid and gross. And I might have to get my jacket out for like a bad week or two during winter. That's what... I think about, and I think that's what most people think about the South as well. Looking at it from a geographic standpoint, you have to factor in what the environment is as well, because that plays a huge role in how everything else comes about. Hell, based on their their definitions, we might as well throw in like New Mexico and Arizona in the South. And speaking of what is considered the South, one person who is definitely from the South is America's favorite South African, Elon Musk. He is a firm believer in Southern culture and wants you to be a part of it too. To be a part of his Mars colony, Musk and SpaceX plan to offer good old-fashioned indentured servitude for those who can't afford the price tag. Elon Musk, pioneering space slavery since 2002. you bring that up so vox back in 2016 actually did a a poll about hey what do you all consider the south and over 40,000 people responded to this in order to be considered a southern state you had to at least get 50 percent of all the votes only about a portion of the states that we talked about have made this now before we get into this i do want to say that arizona got more votes as a southern state than Delaware. New Mexico also got more states than Kansas, D.C., Arizona, and Delaware. Uh, But none of them are considered southern states. The ones that are are Mississippi, Alabama, 
Georgia, South Carolina, Louisiana, Tennessee, North Carolina, Arkansas, Florida, Virginia, Texas, and Kentucky. Those are the only ones that were considered Southern states, according to readers. The other honorable mentions, like I said, Oklahoma, West Virginia, Missouri, Maryland, New Mexico, Kansas, D.C., Arizona, Delaware. So most people tend to have a good idea of at least where this cluster of the South is. So, Gabe, what I want to turn to, though, is what is the Deep South that we've always heard? If you've grown up in the South, you know about this legendary Deep South. And the Deep South is almost a vague term that seems to mean something, I don't know, it seems to be a derogatory term towards some parts of the South, if you've grown up here. Uh, Even people in the South use that to kind of describe maybe underdeveloped parts of the South. Uh, I've always thought of it as being the more rural regions of the South, especially when you consider like the Gulf states, like Louisiana, Mississippi, Georgia, Alabama, South Carolina. Those to me would be probably considered the the Deep South. And Merriam-Webster seems to agree with me on that because their literal definition of the Deep South is the states in the southern and eastern part of the U.S., and especially Georgia, Alabama, South Carolina, Louisiana, and Mississippi. So they went literal with that, but I don't think the Deep South is something literal also. I think it's really funny how you said that the term Deep South is almost a derogatory term toward those areas because coming from the deep South, like I said, native Georgian, we wore that with a badge of pride. Like, I think that gets into some of the cultural things about it, of people being really, really proud of the lovely racist history of the South. Like, no, 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 no. We're not just part of the South. We're really the South. Like, we really hate minorities here. I remember growing up, like, people would wear the Deep South logo or Deep South uh, brand with huge pride. With the thing like, no, that's who we are. We're not these, like, bootlicker Southerners that just will go with the tide. No, nah, we're going to stand by our convictions. And and I think it's, it's you know, it's kind of funny that how... On one side of the coin, it's a derogatory term, put them down. But then on the other side, it's a badge of honor. Like, you're damn right. Yeah, hell yeah, we're the Deep South. So it's it's thing that's, that's pretty interesting. Yeah, and I like that you bring up too, uh, subtly, that there's something when you mention the Deep South that triggers this almost, for some people, fight or flight response. Like, it's not a place that... I as a gay man would want to be, and it's probably also not a place that minorities would want to be as well. So when you think of the Deep South, obviously the the legacy of slavery to this day still withstands here in the South. And that's something that, you know, it, it exists all over the country, but it still especially exists here in the South. And part of these systems that we as Southerners have to work to tear down. But I don't know, when when I hear the word Deep South, as a Southerner, it's kind of like, ooh, those are the places maybe I shouldn't be in. You're not wrong. I know, I don't know if I've told you guys this, but growing up where my grandmother used to live, the cake, the local KKK chapter 
would have their meeting, I shit you not, less than five miles away from where her house was. And it was not a secret where they met and when they met. It was just accepted like, yep, that's the that's the community where the KKK holds their rallies at or holds their like monthly meetings or whatever they do. There's a go over there, you know, you, you can find them here. And it's this like open secret, I guess, is the best way to put it, because no one's no one's going to deny you the information, but they're not parading it around either. It's just it's a very open secret about the history and how the region or how the area leaned into that history and and embraced it vociferously. Yeah. Um, so I guess the last part, too, before we, we start to end here is Appalachia is one of many regions within the South. You've got the Mississippi Delta, you've got the Gulf Coasts, and you've got the Atlantic Coast Southern states. So there's a very big variety of also these sub-regions within the South, but probably the most notorious is at least where we sit here in East Tennessee is Appalachia. Appalachia to me has always been a regionally different place and part of its aspects. And it's hard to talk about it just geographically because obviously Appalachia runs from Georgia all the way up to New England. The parts that we own here in the South, there's something distinct to them that is Southern, but also not Southern. I wonder when you think about the South, are there areas like Appalachia that you kind of say, no, not necessarily Southern? Yeah, I think Appal- like, Appalachia is the only one I can really think of. That's kind of the area I'm from, right where the uh, AT kind of comes down into that top corner of Georgia is my stomping grounds. And so that, that was kind of the South that I knew and the South that I've experienced but then, you know, living in Atlanta for several years, kind of in Athens as well, now up in Tennessee and North Carolina. So I've lived all over the South now that I start thinking about it. <laughs> and there is a huge difference. It's almost like Appalachia has its own, yeah, its own region where it's it's a specific kind of mountain folk that are fiercely protective over their area because outside of that, outside of kind of the Appalachia area, they're flanked by all these urban centers that are just a melting pot of culture. And so it's fiercely defensive and protective over its culture and has this going out of the geographic area of it into that cultural aspect. But but yeah, Appalachia is very much its own little bubble very nationalist if if appalachia were to be a country i would say it's nationalist so i guess regionalist but you know it's these are our folk uh you you know you city dwellers get the hell out of here kind of think about louisiana and uh the bayou as well you know it very much is it's I'll, i'll i'll give that that's another whole like that's part of the south but has its whole own feel to it than just your what you typically think of as the South. You know, the, the Cajun culture, Creole culture. 
Absolutely. And I think the biggest thing to take away from what is the South geographically is it's kind of hard to define. Are you going to define it by what it previously was in, you know, before the Civil War when when it originally uh, was kind of the North and South? Are you going to define it by this regional way that the U.S. does? I think the biggest way that most people define the South is their own opinions of what the South is. I think what we'll talk about next week is more of the cultural aspects that really do make up the South. It'll be interesting because there's a lot to cover and <laughs> the culture of the South is is very, very diverse. Uh, even within Tennessee, you can tell when you've gone from East Tennessee to Middle Tennessee to West Tennessee. There's different vibes going on all those places. So Next week, we'll we'll talk about more of that. But before we end here, we got a couple rants. And I think Gabe wants to kick us off with, with a rant here. So it's kind of, we're in between shows right now. I don't pay attention enough to know how the scheduling works. But the whole concept of award shows and award season, like it just needs to go away. Recent history has really drummed up my reasoning and fervor behind getting rid of award season about my desire to cancel the award shows because the Academy and the Oscars and all of these groups that vote on this stuff have been like the same people for the past 30, 40, 50 years. It's a whole bunch of basically old white guy, old white dudes and there's, there's a smattering of some women in there and a dusting of minority voices, but are all deciding on what movies are good, what movies are bad, what you should and shouldn't watch. Everybody always gets so bent out of shape over the stuff that is considered snubbed. And year after year, it's the same thing the same types of films it's the same groups of people that are getting snubbed it's the minority filmmakers minority actors that year in and year out put in the performances of a lifetime and are always are almost always snubbed and the movie that the studios were banking on to be an award winner doesn't even get nominated it just gives the film industry and music industry more of a reason not to fund them and to keep this monoculture that we have. My favorite memory of this is the Taylor Swift, Kanye, Beyonce fiasco, where Taylor Swift is in the middle of her speech and Kanye interrupts her to say, you know, Beyonce had the best album of all time. I don't care about either artist. I think all three of them don't vibe with them musically. Oh my God. Okay. This is the first thing I've got to interrupt you for. To, to yell at you for, do not disgrace Taylor Swift in front of me. We vibe with Taylor Swift on this podcast. For, for your girl Taylor, she had the best album of all time. And then even, you know, in this past, whatever it was, with Billie Eilish and Megan Thee Stallion, like, you know, in her speech, Billie Eilish was like, Megan, like, you deserve this award, girl. Like, you hands down had the best. And it just, it causes way more controversy, way, it's, and I'm not having even gotten into like the politicking of it all, like just how all it really is, is because of all this and because of how that the awards are 
designed and voted on. It's all politicking, Hollywood politicking as well. It's about sending like the snazziest mailers and social media campaigns trying to drum up excitement for a film. Can we not just accept like, holy shit, like these people have put in a year of their time to create a film. Can we not just be like, hey, all you filmmakers, good job. Like I've had my hand in several productions. It's really fucking hard to make a movie. It doesn't matter if it's a three minute short. It doesn't matter if it's a four and a half hour Zack Snyder cut. For a group of select individuals to sit back on their high horse and say what's good and what's not is just wildly pretentious. Makes no sense. But this is America. We love to sit back and judge other people for our own sins. So maybe it makes sense and that we should keep them. I've, maybe I've convinced my, walked myself off the fence now. Well, so Gabe, I fully came into this prepared to fight back. And I had to when you decided to disgrace Taylor Swift with your filth. But I digress on that front. You're not wrong about the way award shows are ran. There is, I think, award show. I am on the side of award shows are important because they are such hard work to pull off. There is immense talent that goes into this, but the talent that is always being displayed at these award shows is not reflective of the movies that are coming out. You cannot tell me that there are not black uh, women directors out there that do not deserve to have their movies shown. There's not black actors. There's not Asian American actors. There's not Asian actors. There's, I mean, there's not LGBTQ actors, uh, people of color costume designers of color that deserve to be nominated and every aspect of making a movie though i've never done it seems very hard and i think it's important to have these spaces where we can recognize what they've accomplished with uh, the art of storytelling however the board's do not reflect this. To be on the Hollywood Foreign Press for the Golden Globes, all you have to do, I believe, is write four reviews of a movie in a year. Don't quote me on that. I could be wrong, but that's that's pretty much the requirements of this. With the Oscars and the Academy Awards, you know, you have this board, like you mentioned, that has been on there forever. And yes, there's a definite need to diversify these boards uh, because we're not seeing the representation that we deserve. You know, we can't keep having these token wins. I was very excited to see Parasite win last year, but I'm hoping it's not the only time I'm witnessing a Asian movie getting nominated for Best Picture. So I think hopefully instead of having these like token areas where, you know, we're going to give you one Best Actress nominee of color, we should be diversifying that. And I could go into a whole rant also on just do we need to break this down by gender as well? But I'm going to save that for now. That, that seems like a rant for another day because I have a rant about Joe Manchin, which constant running theme. But yesterday, Joe Manchin decided to shoot down any possibility of the gun control legislation that just passed the House. He basically voiced his support that he would not be supporting them at all. This man, and, and several others, I, I can't just lay it at his feet because there are others too, is going to destroy the chance for progress and is going to 
drastically hurt the morale of people that that work their asses off to help us take back the Senate and keep the House. And to those voters that came out because they believed change was possible. And in 2022, I think he, him and, and senators like Kirsten Cinema are going to be the biggest and most detrimental threat to us losing power again. So my rant is a little bit about that, but it's more about this is we finally control all over levels of government. I don't know how many more fucking mass shootings we have to witness before we can get some kind of, of gun control legislation passed. But all I know is that if Joe Manchin kills this and another happens, it's no longer just the Republicans' fault anymore. It It is a problem owned by every Democrat that could not get him to fall in line. It's a problem specifically owned by Manchin. If cinema's with it too, I mean, there's there's some benefit to us having, you know, Manchin, but I'm starting to lose sight of what that benefit is. And it's just disheartening that this is, you know, another mass shooting and there's going to be another and there's going to be another because for far too long, we have, we've failed to act. I'm just incredibly pissed and angry that, that we have this power now and we can't use it because this one senator has decided against it. He should, at this point, he should not even be considered a Democrat. Like, I don't know what, what the party can do at this point, because at almost every Democrat, like democratic piece of legislation that has come through in recent memory, he has sided with the Republicans on. I, I I can't think of any that come to mind where it's like, oh, Manchin actually looked to the future and wasn't pearl clutching on this. It's getting to the point now where he has thrown his lot in with the people who don't want anything to actually happen. He has become an obstructionist. And it's a problem. And he is going to cause, he's go, he is going to give the GOP and the reactionaries and the insurrectionists an opportunity come midterm to reclaim all the seats that they lost and then some. And I'll lay a lot of this responsibility at Manchin's feet. But I mean, I'm severely disappointed that the thought of this bill going to uh, the Senate, and even if Manchin was the only Democrat to not vote for it, that there's not at least one Republican that also can say, you know, I've had enough of this too. I think we need to do something is is just as awful and abhorrent. I mean, it's something we've come to expect, but it's the fact that you can't get any one of them to work on that when you have 50 other senators there that should be able to come together and say, yes, there is a definite need to to strengthen gun control in this country. Ugh, it just aggravates me. And, you know, I hate to say this because, you know, when you're talking to people that have given their all and they keep giving their all, I mean, this is a reminder that when 2022 comes up, I mean, we still have to keep this fight going because there are going to be states that have senators up for election and states that we can realistically pick up. And if we can pick up one one more seat in you know, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, wherever, if we can pick up any of those seats and protect the rest, that's one less senator, or that's that's one less reason we have to worry about Manchin at that point. He can jump off on any bill he wants, and we've still got 50 senators or 52. 
I'm I'm choosing to look at this as, you know, it's all the more reason to fight to get more senators in there that he is less of a problem for us in the future. I know the House has been discussing D.C. statehood. Uh, I don't know. I don't quite remember where that went. If it just got committed, it didn't because I don't think it actually went to a vote at all. I am not sure. But that's something we've been saying that needs to happen, along with Guam and the Virgin Islands and Puerto Rico and all the other outlying territories all need statehood, all need representatives. And that ties into exactly what you're saying, Drew. If we can you know, start with D.C., get that statehood, that gives us probably 52 senators right there, then we don't need Manchin. We can tell him to go kick rocks, which I would love to do. So anyone listening to this needs people to help find a bit replacement for Manchin, we will. We are your biggest stands right here. Let us know. We will give you an hour special. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, I think we're going to wrap up. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at pod underscore south. You can find me on Twitter at gram851. And what about you, Drew? Where do you live on the World Wide Web? You can find me on Twitter at Andrew Dyson. That is D-I-S-O-N on the last name. And make sure to also follow us at Change TN and find out all the amazing things we're doing on Twitter and Facebook as well. You can find us on Facebook at Change Tennessee and on Twitter at Change TN underscore. Well, thank you, everybody. Be sure to like and subscribe to us. Give us those five-star reviews. That way more people can find us, especially our Delaware audience. Thank you and have a great day. Pod, pod of the South, not your daddy's Appalachia. Pod, pod of the South.